Hello and welcome to The Image of tonight. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. Um, my special guest today... I like the way you had to think about that. What comes next? I was about to go into And then we're talking about chapter... What chapter are we talking about? 48. But then I forgot I need to introduce Paula, who you all know at this point, but she likes to be introduced. Well, what if it's someone's first podcast? This is very true. It could be someone's first podcast. I got a very nice text message from my friend Sean this morning, actually saying that we've really got into the swing of it. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. You introduce yourself every time. This is true. So I should really introduce you. Yeah. It's very rude of me to not. Yeah. So this time I want a bigger introduction, not just my sister. Uh, this is my sister, Paula, who is an English teacher and reader of books. <laughs> yeah, reader of books. <laughs> reader of Being books. an English teacher doesn't make me an expert on this book, though, because I, I, I taught it a little bit, but not properly. How do you it. not properly teach a book? Uh, so I taught it when I was teaching at a correspondence school. So you send all the resources out. You don't create the resources and you don't actually do the teaching. That's very different. I learned it in seventh form. Yeah, at the school that I'm currently teaching at. Yes, because life is like that. So, today we're going to talk about Chapter 48 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. In Chapter 48, Mr. Gardner returns to town, stories are told about Wickham, a letter arrives from Mr. Collins, and Mr. Bennett comes home. I was just saying to Francis that it's a sad chapter, like some horrible things are happening. But it's funny. But it's really funny, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like the way Jane Austen does that. I find it interesting that Mr. Collins' letter, which is hilarious and so wrong, has no commentary on it. No, it's just plonked there. Here's his letter. You laugh about it, but then you don't say anything else about it. The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison of this, which I is the only bit that I've underlined in his letter, but it just stands out as just the most appalling thing to say. Absolutely. You know, he's saying... Oh, lucky miss for me. I didn't end up attached to your family. Oh. And I've told Lady Catherine de Bourgh about it, and she agrees with me that it's terrible. I mean, he does catch it in terms where he makes it sound as if he is sympathising with them, but he's not. No. He's just like, la, 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 I'm quite happy I didn't marry your daughter, so I'm not embroiled in this mess. Yeah. You should wish your daughter dead. So Jane Austen shows that she respects the intelligence of her readers by not commenting on it, by making it funny, but also knowing that they will find it appalling and not having to make a commentary on it to explain it to them. And I guess that's what I find hard quite often with you know TV shows now. They explain everything in great detail and it's so frustrating. It's like, yeah, I got that. I'm not stupid. They just hand it to you on a platter. Yeah, it takes away some of the mystery, I guess. Yeah, so she's quite clever. Yeah. I'll say again. The, um, yes, you do like saying that. She's quite clever. She might be quite good. Yeah, yeah. Possibly quite good. Yeah, maybe 200 years later, people <laughs> might still read her books. Turn them into films, TV shows, mugs. The, um, the preamble to the letter, I love. The arrival of letters was the first grand object of every morning's impatience. Yeah. So the grand arrival and it's impatience. Yeah, just waiting for it. What a letter to be rewarded with, though. God. Yeah, so true. All that waiting and then they get that. And nothing from Mr. Bennett, almost said Mr. Gardner. Nothing from Mr. Bennett. Um, so the other relations visit them. 
Mrs. Phillips visits them frequently. Uh, with the design of tearing and heartening them up, though she never came without reporting some fresh instance of Wickham's extravagance or irregularity, she seldom went away without leaving them more dispirited than she found them. So she tells stories about that he is declared to be in debt to every tradesman in the place, that his intrigues, or given the title of seduction, had extended into every tradesman's family. Elizabeth believed enough to make her former assurance of her sister's ruin even more certain, and even Jane, who believed less of it, became almost hopeless. Yeah, poor Jane. It's hard on her. Yeah. She just believes the good in people. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? Now, there was a line in here that I remembered specifically from when I was studying the novel. All Meryton seemed striving to blacken the man who but three months before had been almost an angel of light. Yeah, and we talked, when Frances was reading it before, we talked about how it's so true for human nature to go, oh, I knew that, or I thought that, or oh, yes, I did wonder. (laughs) Um, And Elizabeth is having a hard time of it. And she said, had she known nothing of Darcy, it would have spurred, as she thought, one sleepless night out of two. So she's mourning Darcy at the same time, and she's tolerably well acquainted with her own feelings at this point, which is a nice way of saying we think she's in love with him, but she's not going to say it quite out loud like that. And she's probably not quite admitting it to herself either. No, only tolerably well acquainted. Exactly, that tolerably word. Poor old Elizabeth. It's hard for her because she still hasn't told Jane about her change in feelings and Jane is the one person she would talk to about this. But with the pressing nature of what's happening with Lydia, it seems almost silly to be talking about, like it's not important enough. It's like when somebody dies or something massive happens and you can't talk about other things because they do seem frivolous. But actually it's all about perspective. It is, yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, we haven't talked about Mr. Bennett coming back and him accepting his blame for what happened. Yes, I believe you cried out yes at that point. Yeah, because he's such a frustrating character. He made a bad marriage because he married somebody who's frivolous, silly. Not Um, his intellectual equal. Yeah, not his intellectual equal, shall we say. Yes, and then... Instead of facing up to it or doing something about it or maybe, you know, ensuring that his daughters don't end up as intellectually stunted as or emotionally stunted as his wife, he just hides away from it. Mm-hmm. And even when Elizabeth says to him, hey, have you thought about this? He still doesn't face up to it. And says, I, it has been my own doing and I ought to feel it. That was the bit where you cried out, yes. Yeah, I like that. Elizabeth, of course, does say to him, oh, no, it's okay, which you do in that situation. Yeah. Because him feeling awful is not going to help the situation. And it makes everybody uncomfortable. But it's quite nice to see him finally acknowledge that he has played a huge part in the... I was going to say played a huge part in the upbringing of his daughters, but that's actually the opposite of what I meant. Like, he hasn't played a part in the upbringing and therefore... Played his... a huge part in what's gone wrong. Yes, because yeah. of his absence. Yeah. And I guess in those days it was different as well. Men didn't really have much to do with their children. And in fact, women didn't always either. No, but they didn't even have a governess. No. So not only was he not 
helping. He wasn't providing them with any way of becoming sensible young women. And in the situation that they, the girls were in, that was really important because mm-hmm. they had no way of making money, so they were in a really precarious position. They weren't going to inherit. No. And you think a big family like that, you'd need a governess to keep them in line anyway. And obviously they weren't kept in line. No. And so you can sort of see why Lydia's just gone off the rails a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Or a lot, considering what she's just done. Yeah, it's not a little bit, is it? It's a lot. And she doesn't seem to understand that what she's done is wrong either? And Kitty doesn't seem to understand how bad it is no. as well. The two of them together. But poor old Kitty at the end when Mr. Bena <laughs> She just starts crying. <laughs> not for £50. Pounds. I can't remember what happens in the Kira Knightley version, but I remember in the the other version, the Andrew Davies one, Mr. Colin, uh, Mr. Bennett isn't over the top with his emotions about it. But just now when you were reading it, in my mind, he was really getting worked up and yelling about it for the first time we're actually seeing real emotion. Yeah, because he's so placid about everything really. It was almost as if his confession to Elizabeth and Jane that he had a role in it was like him letting things out and then he led up to this bit where he started yelling about, no, you're never going away, you you know, blah, 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 blah. Like it was a, an outlet for him, all this emotion that he'd been holding inside. But maybe again, 21st century eyes. Maybe. It certainly doesn't say anything about, oh, it does say that he cried and there is some exclamation points. So mm. it's possible that he is. Because you read it not in a yelly way, but you read it in an impassioned way. And in my head I was thinking, gosh, yeah, I could imagine him yelling that, getting really upset. Because finally he's facing up to what's happened and his part in it. And thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> how many other daughters have I got? <laughs> how many other times could this happen? Except for to Mary, you know. It's probably ne- never going to happen to Mary. She's far too sensible. Hmm. Yes, poor old Mary. She gets a hard run. She does. I think she's not even mentioned till a couple of chapters into the book and then you're like, oh, there's another sister. <laughs> so we know them quite well because we know the book really well, but I think coming into it, there are a lot of sisters to get your head around. I like it in books where they help you to get to know who the characters are before they get too far into the story and you go, oh, what? I'm so lost as to what's happening. I don't like it when I start reading. I've accidentally started reading a few series about three or four books in. Oh, no. And they've got all these characters and I'm going, who is this and what's happening? Um, I've been trying to find detective police series because I finished reading all the Karen Slaughter books. Apart from the new one, which I held back from buying because I'm on the list at the library. Very good. Yeah, so I um, started reading these police series and I keep not starting with the first one. So they keep mentioning all these characters as if you know them and that's hard work. I think it's hard to pick up a book that's in a series, even if you have read the earlier ones, unless you've read the earlier ones just immediately before. Yes. You sort of need to read them one, two, three, four, straight away, bang, bang, bang. Otherwise you forget the stuff that happens. And because the author knows them so well, they do make assumptions about what you should know or remember about the characters. Mm. That's why I like (laughs) going onto YouTube and looking at like uh, what happened in the previous season when a new season on something on TV is about to start or on Netflix. 
Yeah, because you like at the end of the season, you're so tied up in it and you really want the next one to come. But by the time it rolls around, you've sort of forgotten everything. Yeah, that's what I feel like is going to happen with the Umbrella Academy. We just finished watching it the other night and we're going, oh, what does it mean? And we went and read some stuff about what people think it might mean. But yeah, by the time it rolls around, who knows? I've done it again, haven't I? You've gone off topic. So um, any updates on your English class? It's school holiday time now. Hooray. And we've just done exams and they did quite well on the essays about Emma, which is good. And we, in the last week of term, we were watching it again, just bits of it and talking about it. And it was quite good to do that, to see some of the things that we went, oh, that's there. So for example, one of the students in the class was determined that Emma hadn't changed through the whole film. Her thought was that Emma was still selfish and that she was just doing things because she wanted Knightley to like her and to marry her. And then uh, we were re-watching the end and Knightley says he's going to go to Mr. Martin and say, you go and propose to Harriet again. And Emma says, no, actually, I need to do that because I'm the one who's messed up. And I said to the student, can you see how this helps to explain how Emma has grown and changed? And she went, yeah, I hadn't realized that bit before. So that was quite cool. That's cool. Yeah, because I've never seen it as her trying to make Mr. Knightley want to marry her because it always seems the proposal seemed to come out of nowhere for both of them. Yeah, her argument was around the fact that Emma only ever does things that are in her best interest, mm-hmm. which is true to a certain point. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people in life, that's the way things are, apart from our mother, of course. I think a lot of mothers are like that, though. Yeah. It comes with being a mother. No, she's pulling faces now. I wasn't suggesting you. (laughs) I was going to say, it's not me. (laughs) And when am I coming to have tea with your class? Oh, yeah, next term. Next term, Mm -hmm. after school holidays. Yeah. Obviously. Well, we'll book that in because we're back at level one. Yeah. And anyone can come into school. So, yay, New Zealand. Woohoo. Okay. Um, and that is our summary of chapter 48 of Pride and Prejudice and updates on other things. Thank you for listening. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of... The Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa, New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice, heavily Pride-focused merch, too. It's on Redbubble, and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!